0: Welcome back to the 4th Way Podcast. Today we are continuing our discussion on consequentialism. In the last episode, I took a look at the first way that God started to uncover consequentialism in my life and how it affected the way that I showed grace to other people and the way that I believed that I myself needed or didn't need grace. We're going to continue with that theme and take a look at another way that God has been uncovering consequentialism in my life as it relates specifically to the act of forgiveness. So we'll start off with a with a little question here. What is the difference between a lost cause and a noble one? When does another chance turn into the last chance? Now those questions shouldn't really be that hard for a Christian to answer. We took a look in the last episode at the specific example of the priest from Les Mis, and we talked about whether his cause was a noble cause or a stupid cause or even an immoral cause for being a bad steward. And I think these questions about being a lost cause or, you know, when's the last chance, I think these kind of revolve around the the same sort of, of concept there are things that we might answer one way as a Christian who knows what the right answer is supposed to be, but when we live life out or when we think about things practically, we might have some different answers. As a Christian, we might say, well, God's omnipotent, so there really is no such thing as a lost cause. But we know that the way that we do a lot of ministries and we get statistics and things. We we try to figure out who's worth pouring into. And so we understand that, that there are causes that we're not going to waste our time on. Not because we don't necessarily believe that God could do something there, but just because that's not a, a great use of our time or resources. What's the point? God's probably not going to do anything. And most of us probably actually, even though we believe God is omnipotent, uh, we don't usually see that in our lives. We might actually doubt that omnipotence as well and in the in the same sort of vein, we can take a look at Jesus's life specifically and we know that he tells us to forgive as he forgave. He forgave his enemies, he forgave people while he was hanging on the cross, saying, "Forgive them. they don't know what they're doing. He told Peter to forgive seventy times seven. Which I mean, essentially means just forgive forever. So when we took it, take to take a look at uh, the example of Jesus' life. Then there doesn't seem to be a thing like a last chance. At least for for his believers and followers. And maybe there's a last chance, uh, and one day at the judgment, uh, decisions will have been made, and there will be an eternal consequence. But at least for us, we temporal beings who have been told to be followers of Christ, we don't really have that ultimatum before us. It's not our job to, to issue that consequence. Uh, we are to be like our Savior who forgives even our enemies. Last year, uh, we were in the States for, for a little bit while we had to deal with some of our, our family illnesses here. And while we were here, we didn't want to lose our our Romanian language skill, so I got a language tutor. And it was really awesome. It was kind of awkward, because you're kind of talking over Skype, and I did four-hour blocks, which is a long time to talk to even your friends. So to have this random stranger that you're trying to talk to in another language when your language skill is... Isn't really that great, so your conversation's limited. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was a little awkward, but it ended up being pretty good. She was a good conversationalist, and you know, it was her job to basically listen to me and go where I wanted to go. So we got to talk about a lot of really cool things. And one of the things that we talked about was my experience with Alexa. Uh, and that is a pseudonym here, but Alexa was a a Roma woman that we had worked with over in Romania, and she was actually the the first Roma woman that we really befriended and I remember the story so well she she was just she would show up to our house and ring the doorbell, and we'd see her through the little like screen they have like doorbell video cameras. And we'd see who it was, and we'd go out, and she'd beg and beg and beg and beg and beg. And, you know, sometimes we'd give her food, but then if she came back too frequently, like, you know, within two or three days, we didn't want to enable her, so we said no, and we'd turn her away. But if she came back, like, every two weeks or something, we'd probably give her food again. And this kind of kept up and kept up. And one day... Oh, and you also have to remember that this is really awkward for us. This is like the first three months we're in country, so we don't know much language. It is usually harder to understand some of the Roma and the way that they talk. Um, it It's so awkward because I to get her to go away, I literally have to close the door almost right in her face, like her nose is six inches away from the door. And... She just won't go away. It's just the most awkward situation, and it makes you feel guilty. It's just terrible. Well, one day. Oh, and she always comes at the most inopportune times, too. Well, one day she came at an inopportune time, and I looked through the video monitor, and I said, Ugh, it's her again. And I turned to my wife and said, It's your turn this time. And she looked at me, and, and she felt the same way that I did all the time. But. God was gracious to her and gave her some revelation and and she just looked and she said do we even know her name and no we did not know her name she was just some some object to us that we um you know we thought it was a good idea to come over and help people like her in our 9 to 5 when they were outside of our walls and their community and they were projects but as somebody to whom we were to show hospitality, not so much, because the Roma community, they tend to not be vaccinated. We have a young young son. We didn't know he had health issues at this time, but very soon afterwards, uh, he started to develop breathing issues, and uh, whether it's TB or measles running around in the Roma community, it's not good to be around them. We know that when they come into to houses, they're known to steal things. They're known to be really shady. We have we have kids. You know, their their well being might be uh, in danger. And so, letting a Roma person into your house to kind of scope it out um, didn't sound like the the best idea. It didn't sound like like the thing that we wanted to do. But it's the thing that that God led us to because. We were so inhospitable we did not know her name we had never invited her in okay if I'm going to turn her away and not give her any food that's one thing but to have her come to my door 20 times and never invite her in to drink some tea or to have coffee uh, that's that's just kind of crazy that I as a Christian would be inhospitable and hospitality is is one of the the gifts that we see um, in the Bible, that's that's really important. Hospitality, um, I believe, I, I'll have to look this up and maybe post a link below. Um, but I believe hospitality is actually one of the the sins that Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, blasted for, where they were they were shown to be inhospitable. So I think uh, hospitality, especially in the ancient world, and and especially for Christians, is a it's a pretty big deal to to show hospitality to the stranger, to the prisoner, to the the person in need. Um, you know that that's the thing that that Jesus says. You know, you clothed me and you fed me because you did this to to you know this person in need. But um, to the other person, he says, I don't even know you. Like you didn't you didn't help the stranger. So. Anyway, God God worked on our hearts, and we let in Alexa to our house. And we formed a relationship, and over, over the course of time, we helped her with some food and things. But primarily, we didn't want to just hand her things, but we tried to help her get certain government documents so she could get government funding, so she could get help with her kids, and uh, just all sorts of, of processes we tried to walk her through. And to help her get money we offered to allow her to clean our house and we, we paid her well for that so that she could try to save up money um, and, and we just tried to help in a lot of ways but of course as as we thought was probably inevitable um, one day our credit card had tons of of uh, money racked up on it and it was thousands of, of dollars and we realized that Alexa had had swiped one of our credit cards and used it. And this was offensive not only because it was a betrayal of trust, but because in Romania they don't most people don't have credit cards and especially the Roma they don't know how how credit cards work. And in their mind in Alexa's mind what she was doing was basically all of the money that was was coming out was from our bank account Uh, she didn't she doesn't understand that there's credit and you have fraud insurance and so uh, it ended up that all the money she racked up we didn't have to pay for but she didn't know that she thought that she was taking all of that money from from us directly and that was that was just crazy and to make it even worse you know, a week or two later after we realized all this and we tried to figure out what to do, she came back to us and she tried to sell us all of this um, this new stuff that she had gotten, like all of these clothes and things. And we were pretty sure that she was trying to sell us the stuff that she bought with our own money. I mean, it it was ludicrous, um, just the, the gall that she had. And uh, after loving our kids, which she genuinely, I think, did. Uh, after loving our kids and, and looking us in the face for week after week after week after we tried to help her do all these things, she just decided to take from us thousands of dollars. And When we figured this all out and we were, we were 99% sure it was Alexa, we confronted her. You know, we we had been counseled by people, you know, go to the police so that she can't do this again, which I don't know is inherently a a bad thing to do. But Alexa had heard us talk about Jesus. She had been in our home. She had a relationship with us. Um, There were a lot of reasons that we didn't want to go to the police. Retaliation was one as well because um, the Roma communities can be pretty close-knit and there can be be problems Um, but but primarily we just didn't think that that was what Alexa needed that that was the the right thing to do Um, and we were even willing like we didn't know since we knew who took our credit card um, we didn't know if the credit card company would make us try to pursue them to get it down because it's not like just some random person stole it or it was lost and and such like we knew who did it and we had to tell the credit card company that and we didn't know if the credit card company was going to make us pay for it since we knew who it was and it was in in some senses our fault that it was taken and we were willing to eat the cost instead of instead of go to the police um, and th- that was just a decision that we made so we we had Alexa come over and we confronted her and said we do not want to go to the police but you know we we need the person who took this to to tell us to be honest with us because our goal isn't isn't to get somebody in trouble our goal is to have a relationship and Alexa eventually just broke down and, and said she did it, and she cried. And I, I really think it was... I mean, she's a good actor and a good liar. Well, not a good liar. She she lies all the time, but she's not a good liar. But she's not she's not a great actor, and she really cried. And, and I, I think it was genuine, because she does love our kids, and she maybe maybe appreciated some of the things that we, we did for her. I don't know to what extent. Um, but... But what really broke her down was that when we sent her away, when when she left, and we said we need to figure out how to fix this so we're going to have future discussions. But uh, we sent her away with food. Catalina had cooked a meal, and um, we sent her away with food for her family because she had said that... um, um, no she needed to get back because she was going to miss dinner and we said that's okay you stay, we'll talk and we'll send you home with dinner and we sent her home with food after knowing that she took thousands of dollars from us and that just blew her mind she, she didn't understand it one bit um, so anyway circling back to, to our Romanian tutor I told her that story about alexa and about our our working with the roma and our our tutor was just she couldn't understand that story at all it didn't compute you know she asked questions like well did she deserve it well no she didn't deserve it because what she did was terrible not only that but afterwards she she'd continue to lie to us and uh, she she avoided us uh, a lot more. So, no, she didn't deserve it. Not at all. Uh, our tutor asked, well, why was forgiveness good? Wouldn't it have been better to go to the cops? That seems like it's, it's more pragmatic. You're going to take care of a menace to society by getting them in trouble. You're going to instill some fear in her family and her community. Um, you know, her kids will learn from her lesson because her kids basically have their mom for support which isn't much support at all but it's some so if her kids see their mom go to jail might teach that community a lesson so why is forgiveness good our tutor asked weren't we justified in cutting her off couldn't we just say don't i don't ever want to see your face again get out of here yeah it seems like we we would have been justified because she broke our relationship And probably the most pertinent uh, question of all is, wasn't Alexa a lost cause? And yeah, it sure seems that way. It seemed that way and still seems that way. Um, Alexa just continues to be Alexa. She tried to blame her daughter for taking the credit card. Um, She tried to, to shift blame. and It's just she continues to lie. And... She sure does seem like a lost cause. But you know, the the answers that I just gave to all of all of those questions and did she deserve it? No. Was forgiveness good? Doesn't seem like it. Were we justified to cut her off? Yeah. Wasn't Alexa a lost cause? Yeah. You know, the, those questions that I all uh, that I answer all in that way, are are not at all the way that I, as a Christian, answer them. Did she deserve it? Yeah, she did. Because uh, Jesus forgave me, the uh, a servant of a great debt. And shouldn't I forgive Alexa of a small one? Why was forgiveness good? Because it's through love and forgiveness that, that people's lives are changed, not through prison that has high recidivism rates. Um, because my Savior showed me that it's good? Were we justified to cut her off? Yeah, if I wanted to be uh, thrown into everlasting torment, isn't that what God says of the rich servant who refuses to forgive uh, the servant who owes him little? That you are wicked. Like, you need to go where they're weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, So, no, because my master says I'm not justified to cut her off. I am not justified to cut her off. Wasn't she a lost cause? Um, yeah, it's humanly speaking, but uh, if I wasn't a lost cause, if God could save somebody like me and change my heart, God could save somebody like Alexa and change her heart. Uh, I believe in a sovereign God, and I believe in an omnipotent God. So the, the Christian answer to all of those questions is far different than our instinctive human answer is to those questions. And I might have gotten into some of that with with uh, the language tutor when I was responding to her question, but it it actually worked out that uh, a few days before, we had had a, another discussion that I, I was able to use to maybe make something more understandable to her. See, a few days uh, before this, we had discussed the topic of of abortion uh, because my tutor I don't think was a a a follower of Christ she was probably a believer she was grown up in a um, a church where she was taught lots of rituals and things so she believed biblical sorts of things and and some had some semblance of morality but I don't think she was a disciple of Christ. I don't think she followed him she just knew some things and had this. Residual morality. We had talked about the topic of abortion, and she was against abortion. She didn't like that that it occurred. And as we were talking about it, I was able to share this concept of intrinsic value, because uh, key the key to the abortion debate is understanding um, where value lies. Are people, are humans, are they intrinsically valuable, or does something else determine their value? Does their size determine their value? Does, you know, whether they're a fetus or not a fetus, like where they're located, one's in the mother's womb, a baby's not. Does their level of development, does their intellect, what determines the value of somebody? It's kind of like a baseball card. You know, a baseball card is has extrinsic value. It could be a priceless baseball card, but if it gets ripped and scratched and crumpled or burnt a bit, it becomes worthless, or practically worthless. Um, do we view humans like that, or are humans intrinsically valuable? valuable to, does their value follow them wherever they go, no matter what, whether they get arms chopped off, whether they are smart or stupid, or, or whatever? And even, and this is the one where, where even a lot of Christians go wrong, do they have intrinsic value... Even if they're evil, even if they've done something wicked, is it do we as Christi- We we as Christians most of the time believe that people are intrinsically value valuable until they do something that's too wrong, and at that point, because of of their wrong action, their evil act, they all of a sudden lose their intrinsic value now we wouldn't say that, but that's how we act, and we see that through this idea of forgiveness. See, a refusal to show love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness to another human being in light of Christ's display of these things to us is denial of somebody's intrinsic value. To refuse forgiveness is saying they're not worth it. They're not intrinsically valuable. And in that, we are essentially denying that the image of God Transcends our choices, and somewhat similar to the last episode where I talked about how you know, i I wouldn't have said it, but I realize in retrospect that i didn't I really didn't think I needed that much of God's grace when we refuse to show forgiveness to somebody because we don't uh, we show that we don't believe that the image of God transcends choices. the inverse of that is is also true if we believe that choices can uh, negate the image of God, then that means to a certain extent we believe that good choices can actually make the image uh, more valuable. And so in in this one sense, we are denying the image-bearing property to those who wrong us, while at the same time patting ourselves on the back by thinking we're more valuable for doing good things or avoiding doing bad things. Now, at this point, a lot of people are probably going to be shaking their heads and saying, no, 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 you've got it wrong. What about that sex offender, putting them in a church nursery? What about letting Alexa have unfettered access in your house again? There's no way you would do that. And that's right. I, I do agree that those are not good things. But I think a lot of people conflate this the idea of trust and forgiveness. There's this misunderstanding that restoration and reconciliation means that there are no boundaries. And I, I just don't believe that. And I think even in the, the new heavens and earth, we see that there are boundaries of sorts. We have the tempter and, and his minions. They're cast out. They're not going to be around again. Uh, we see that the tree of good and evil is not present in the new heavens and new earth. There are, there are boundaries, there are protections in place to prevent us from, uh, from falling into what we've fallen into now. God graciously protects us from that. I think all too often people think that in forgiveness that there are no boundaries, but, but there are. It's just that that boundaries look different than barriers or whatever you would want to call them. Uh, a boundary is is not its goal is not to shame, but to love and protect not only other people but also the offending party. And if you've listened to the uh, pacifist, uh, the nonviolent podcast series so far. You recognize that one of the biggest mistakes Christians make is that uh, we agree with this love for everybody with the exception of enemies or those who who offend us. We're always about protecting the innocent, but we're never about protecting uh, offenders because we don't believe that enemies are worth it. And I think you see the same thing in forgiveness. We see all the time that uh, people want to protect everybody except the offender. But why don't we want to protect the offender too? If I keep the sex offender out of working in a church nursery, yes, it's to protect children. But it's also to protect the sex offender. Because if if he is a believer and a, a disciple of Christ, and he truly seeks to follow, but he has legitimate struggles, I don't want to put him in a position to fall. Because I love him. And, and I, I know that's hard, and um, for me to be saying something like that, somebody who was never sexually abused, and I don't know anybody very close to me in my immediate family who was sexually abused, I know that that's easy for me to say, A- and I get that. Um, nevertheless, we can, we can acknowledge that Jesus Christ seeks forgiveness for all, restoration of all and love for all. Um, and just because I haven't experienced that doesn't mean that I can't observe that that's a truth. Hopefully I just observe it in a way that is is not offensive and that, that is helpful for people who may have difficulty relating to that. And if boundaries are, are part of forgiveness and reconciliation, and if they are important... And if the goal is relationship, then we do need to understand that boundaries are different than, than severing relationships. A lot of times, people like to like to think that by putting gulfs in between relationships, um, they like to think that these gulfs are uh, are good, but they're they're not. They're different. So, for example, um, some boundaries for somebody might be. Not allowing them in your house. You know, with with Alexa, it might be, especially at first, that she doesn't come into our house. Maybe we, but but that doesn't mean we don't meet her. It doesn't mean we don't go to her house or we don't meet out in public or we don't meet outside the walls of our house. Um, we might not meet alone. It might be something that uh, I did this on the diaconate. It wasn't so much for forgiveness. It was more for protection, but especially if you're working with uh, a woman as a, a single guy uh, or a guy working alone, I'm not going to meet alone with a woman. That's just not, not wise. And it might be in, in uh, forgiving somebody that it's something that is just not safe emotionally or physically or whatever to meet somebody alone or in a private place, but you'd want to do it in public. Maybe you only meet somebody in the presence of a counselor. Maybe you don't have an ongoing relationship. Maybe you only meet somebody once, but you meet so that you can forgive and um, so that you can work through the issues and be at a peaceable place when you part ways. Maybe there's communication from a distance. Or maybe you have expectations which leave the ball in their court. Maybe they're abusive, and so you just you can't meet them in person. Talking on the phone is emotionally abusive. They're unwilling to meet with a counselor. And you say, look, these are, these are my expectations. It is too painful for me to meet with you um, until, until there are some, uh, some boundaries or barriers that you're willing to, to tear down because you have erected these relational barriers, not me. Until you're ready to meet with a counselor, we can't talk. But notice that, that those barriers uh, or boundaries are much, much different than just completely severing a relationship and saying, get out of my life. They are looking for some sort of restoration in the relationship where the two parties are able to, to part ways, um, sometimes continuing the relationship, sometimes um, not really continuing the relationship, but being at a place where the relationship is, is not harboring ill towards the other the best example i can see of of this played out in the church in the bible is in first corinthians 5 we see that there's an adulterous man he is sleeping with his uh... stepmom i believe and paul tells the corinthian church he says hey look this guy's unrepentant okay you're basically going to excommunicate him from the church you you are unable to have him in the presence of your church because he is he's defiling it. He's ruining the testimony of the church, and he might bring other people down. It is just not safe for your protection. Um, you need to not allow him into the church, but also for this man's protection, we need to pray that uh, I think it says that his flesh is delivered to Satan so that his soul might be saved so they're praying that uh, they do want him to repent and they do want restoration but if that doesn't come they recognize that this guy is on very shaky spiritual ground because he is he's continuing he's persisting in this wickedness and so they say look we we still want his soul to be saved so man pray that pray that something happens to him so that that God will salvage his soul, um, even if that means the destruction of his flesh. They seek, uh, Paul is telling people to seek the church's good, their own good, and the good of the offender. And the beautiful thing is, once that man does repent, and we see in 2 Corinthians that he has, Paul says, okay, 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 he repented, let up on the guy all right we don't need to keep this hanging over his head like remove the barriers and that's what barriers and boundaries are, are there for they are there so that when the individual who marred the relationship decides to to uh, to repent that those barriers can be taken down now my own life Forgiveness has always been a pragmatic endeavor. I refused to forgive people who offended me uh, in large ways, or those who just weren't sorry. You know, I can hold a, a grudge for the against those people because they're not sorry. Or, rather than erecting barriers and boundaries, I would sever relationships rather than uh, seeking restoration. If, if I am not leaving room for restoration, then I, I am not forgiving. In my mind, forgiveness has never been uh, a, a necessarily a good character trait to have, to be forgiving. Now, instead, forgiveness has been a tool, or maybe a currency, however you want to look at it. I'd use it to try to fix relationships that I thought could be fixed, or relationships in which I wasn't going to be hurt again, or relationships in which I thought the other person deserved it. But if the other person didn't deserve it, if what they did was too big, or if I didn't want restoration, and I wanted to be able to to be mad at them, then it was really a leverage or, or a tool to use against them. because. For me to refuse restoration and forgiveness was, in some ways, to to punish them so that it was always hanging over their head. And what's the point of forgiving somebody who, who it's not worth wasting that forgiveness on? But our choice to forgive must not be based on utility or probable outcomes. It needs to be based on the immense forgiveness that we ourselves have received. It isn't very practical to do that. It certainly isn't easy to do that. In fact, it's often very foolish and costly in, in terms of the way that we think. But that's God's way. And thank God that it is, because if it weren't, then I'd be lost. And so would you. That's all for now. So peace, because I'm a pacifist. When I say it, I'm here.